Good morning. It's a delight to get to visit with you all each week about uh, uh, the, the next subject in this series that we've put together. And this morning as we do it, we're talking about prayer. And I don't know what role prayer has played in your life. I suspect it depends upon where you are uh, today, but also where you've spent your life. Uh, as, as Pastor Trammell was talking this morning about the, the fellow Troy that, that he prayed with to receive Christ, I think probably if Troy had been an atheist all of his life, that may have been the first prayer Troy had. And, and uh, that, that's a wonderful first prayer. I'm not in those shoes because I grew up in a home that was uh, uh, deeply faithful and committed to the Lord. And so I've been praying for as long as I can remember, in fact, longer than my memories. Uh, my mom is here this morning and mom and dad taught us as little children to pray. And the prayer that, that I learned was one when I was little of, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then I was taught to add on the stuff at the end. God bless mommy and daddy. And that probably means mom taught me the prayer because it was always God bless mommy and daddy <laughs> and Catherine. And then when Holly came along, I waited a few weeks, but then I decided to pray for her too. <clears throat> and I can remember... Mom would, would pray with us or dad would pray with us before we went to bed oftentimes, uh, um, especially when we were young, they would all the time as we do with our children. But I can remember they wouldn't say that same prayer. They would kind of, what I would now use the term freelance, you know, they're just, they're just freewheeling with the Lord. And they're praying for this, that. And I could never understand how mom could think of all of those things to pray about. She would pray forever. And I think she's trying to do this to see if I'll fall asleep while she's praying. And so I'd fight hard to stay awake, mom. But I grew up understanding that it's not the formula. It's the communication. And I reached a point in my life where I thought, okay, I don't need to do the formula I just need to talk to the Lord. But I couldn't think of anything to really take the place of parts of the formula. So I held on to the formula a lot longer than I maybe needed to. I can remember um, wondering. I, I, I've got these milestones of prayer in my life. I can remember I, was, I had to have been four years old, Mom, because I had not started school. I started school in Memphis, Tennessee. We were living in Abilene. So I was four years old. We'd gone to church on a Sunday. And in the small little church where we went, which at the time seemed large to me, but I'm sure it was smaller than this class. Uh, the, from the podium, the preacher called on my dad to come up and lead the closing prayer. And it blew me away. I remember to this day feeling the sensation of my dad must be an incredibly wonderful and holy man that out of this whole church they called him to go up there and to say a prayer it's just amazing the way that affected my life I can remember uh, uh, when I was um, the summer after seventh grade I was playing baseball in Lubbock Texas 
It was the night before, I think, the first game. Maybe it wasn't the first one. But in the privacy of my room, I prayed, God, help me hit a home run tomorrow. The next day the game came, I had totally forgotten about that prayer. As I got up to bat, and the pitch comes down, and I swung, and by the grace of God, hit the ball, and it went over the center field fence and hit the scoreboard right in the middle of the Pepsi-Cola bottle cap at Elks Field in Lubbock, Texas, off Slide Road. And I'm running around the bases, and I'm thinking, whoa. And it triggers in my brain, I had prayed for this very thing last night. Truly, not only is there a God, but he hears prayer. I can tell you I got up to bat twice more that game, struck out both times. And I learned to pray for the whole game and not just one at bat. Um. I'll also tell you, it was years later when the question crossed my brain, I wonder if I'd have hit that home run if I had not prayed to. I can remember growing up hitting the stage at church where prayers are said at church, and I'm wondering, what am I supposed to be doing while they pray? What am I supposed to be doing in my brain? Am I just supposed to sort of listen to the prayer and try to pay attention? Am I supposed to be saying the same words they're saying and just sort of say them right after? You know, like the two-second delay that they do for TV to make sure something improper is not said and broadcast? Am I supposed to use what they're saying as a catalyst or a prompter within me to think of my own things? Am I supposed to mutter under my breath? I can remember lots of questions as I grew in an effort to try and understand prayer. I can remember the first time I came across the passage we'll look at in a little bit. In 1 Thessalonians, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. And I thought, well, that's going to really change your life. Might work some at school. Teacher calls on me. Mark, what, would you read this Latin passage? I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of prayer. <laughs> I can't quit. I'm a Christian. Um, now, give me a Latin prayer. Maybe I could, you know, but... Um, I can remember growing up, we would pray before meals. Unless we were at a restaurant, we had the home rule. And I can remember asking mom and dad, now why don't we pray for meals in front in the restaurants? And their response was, we pray out of a devotion to God and we never want it to become something showy for other people. And that's the way I was brought up. That doesn't mean it's the only way. Because there is a time and place to show other people what you believe. And I've grown to understand that growing up. But if you eat lunch with me, there's a good chance, 50-50 chance, I won't pray out loud over the food in some formal showy way at a restaurant. It's just not the way I was brought up. Now that doesn't mean that I won't take a moment and make a statement of, I really thank God that I've got a chance to eat this food and a chance to eat it with you. But 
the family that we grew up in, we'd hold hands at dinner prayer. And dad would generally lead it, but sometimes it'd be the rest of us. Dad always had this formula. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Sometimes, if he was feeling a little verbose, he'd add a little extra. It'd be, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to the nourishment of your kingdom. And I can remember thinking, that's part of the dinner prayer. And praying it when it was my turn. And then I can remember going through the phase where I thought, oh, that's all ritual. I just need to run from ritual and, and use my own words. So I'd be praying for the food and I'd be thinking in my head, how do I thank you, Lord, not only for the food, but how do I pray that it will be going to the nourishment of our bodies? And I never really could improve on that phrase much either. So I just went back to ritual. Because I do want God to bless it to the good nourishment of my body. And I want him to use my body to nourish his kingdom. So prayer, it's been interesting. So I, with all of that background to tell you, I've kept prayer journals. I've kept prayer lists. I've not kept prayer journals, not kept prayer lists. I've had times in my life where you'd say, wow, he's a, he's a prayer warrior. I've also had times in my life where you'd say, no, he's not a prayer warrior. It's, it's, it's been an interesting Almost 49 years for me. <clears throat> and it's been fun. Can I use the word fun? It's been fun for me to prepare this lesson for you this week. Because I've got to spend the week studying Paul, our brother, and what he had to say and teach about prayer. And part of that involves the question of what is prayer anyway. And, and when we ask what is prayer, we can look at what prayer is formally and we can look at it what it is conversationally. Formally. To pray comes from the old French prior. Whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. Please, please, please. For the last like um, six weeks, maybe seven You've been doing these long word studies, and, and they were fine, but this is Sunday school class, not dictionary class. So if you could, like, lay off the word studies for a few weeks, kind of give us a little more Paul, a little less dictionary, uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it, at least speaking for, for me and, and maybe a few hundred of the class. Well, okay, I, okay. I just... I, well, maybe it's useful, but, um, you know... I, I would keep it small. Okay, maybe just a little bit. Just give us a little word study and we'll pay a lot more attention, okay? Good. Thanks. Now, carry on. I'll, 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 I'll be listening. Thank, thank you. Well, anyway, at the risk of upsetting anybody, to pray comes from our English word, comes from an old French word, prayer, which actually comes from the Latin word, precari, the verb. And that Latin verb means to beg, to entreat, to ask, to plead. But conversationally, when we talk about praying, what are we really talking about? Talking to God, right? It's talking to God. 
I draw that distinction for you between the real word pray and where it comes from and what it means with the conversational word because it makes a difference in our translations. Our translations deal with the Greek words differently because of what the English word truly means. Because the English word pray truly means pray tell, to entreat someone, to ask someone, to beg someone, because that's what our English word means. There are times where the Bible's talking about prayer in the sense of talking to God, but it doesn't use that word pray. So, for example, you can take all of the universe of the verses that are talking to God and clump them together. But out of all of those verses, only a few will actually be translated with the word pray or prayer. Does that make sense? Only the ones that are talking about asking God for something or entreating God or pleading with God are translated with the word prayer. So if we take Paul, for example, here's how it translates. In the English Standard Version, there are 45 verses. If you look up the word pray with Paul, you'll find it 45 times. Now, for us to say then Paul wrote about prayer 45 times would be wrong. Forty-five times Paul used a word that our translators have translated prayer. But in truth, of just talking to God, Paul actually used 16 different Greek words. And wrote about prayer in that sense 105 times. A ton If you ask someone, what does the Bible, the New Testament specifically, teach you about prayer? Most people would say the Lord's Prayer. That's where our brain goes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I learned it in King James. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us either our debts or our trespasses, depending on how Presbyterian we are at the moment. As we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us again, depending... And sometimes, depending on how universal we feel, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is where we typically go. But the New Testament teaching on prayer is really huge from Paul. Paul teaches about prayer both in what he says and by example. In ways that, that, that properly take our attention. So, let's look at the words Paul uses. I'm not going through all 16, but I do need to go through a few. And I've kind of divided them into a couple of categories. The first big category of verses talking to God that Paul uses are words that mean give thanks in some way or another. They're words where you thank God. I'm sure most of you under your breath have said periodically in your life, thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Paul said it a lot. He would give thanks to God. And those are prayer words even though they don't use our English word pray because it's not an entreaty. So let's look at two of these give thanks words that Paul has. First, he's got a verb to give thanks. And then second, he uses a noun on thanksgiving. And okay, okay, okay. You're, you're doing that thing again. You're going on and on and on and on. We had this little bit deal and... and Okay, all right, but seriously, you know, 
little bit, a lot of attention. A lot, a little bit of attention. It's, I mean, it's up to you. Okay, cool. Keep. Okay. <clears throat> if it makes you feel any better, I've banished him. He will not return this lesson. <laughs> but I do have just a little bit to show you. Eucharisteo is the, the Greek verb that means to give thanks. The Greek noun that Paul uses is Eucharistia. Changing the ending changes it from a verb to a noun. Now, you may be looking at those words and you'll see that they hold in common what? Eucharist. And what does that make you think? The Eucharist. The Eucharist, isn't that communion? What does communion have to do with prayer? Why would anyone call communion the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, if Eucharist is the basis for to give thanks or thanksgiving? The reason why is found in Luke 22. Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take drink. And then he takes the bread and when he had given thanks, Eucharisto, take Eat, for this is my body. And so the label, the Eucharist, comes from that word for the thanks. Jesus prayed before the meal. And so it's the thanks for the food. It's the thanks for the drink. It's the thanksgiving prayer of Christ that gives us the label for the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And that will help you remember it. Now, Paul uses this expression over 30 times. One of these words or form of them. Uses it over and over. You'll find it. If we were to take uh, uh, Paul and, and, and analyze how many times does Paul use Thanksgiving for each page of writing he does. It's more not only than any biblical writer. He uses it more than any writer of Greek, ancient Greek, we have. Nobody was as thankful as Paul. I just find that interesting. I've met people who are thankful. And I've met people who, who don't at least show gratitude so readily. Um, I'm, I'm very poor at writing thank you notes. It's not because I'm not grateful. It's because I'm very poor at writing thank you notes. So it, it doesn't always mean that they're not thankful people, that they're not saying it as much. But I'm here to tell you there's something about the Apostle Paul that touches me and inspires me to realize how thankful he was. And why wouldn't he be? Look what happened in his life. If you were to take a checklist of his books, he writes about thanksgiving and giving thanks in every one of his letters except two, Galatians and Titus. Not a letter goes by that Paul's not praying thanks to God, except for those two. So let's take a moment and consider a number of these Thanksgiving prayer scriptures that Paul had. We'll look at them together. And, and I've divided them up into some categories. And you've got some in your papers, but paper, but it's not exhaustive. The first category I want to talk to you about is how Paul would, in his introduction to his letters, he always uh, uh, seemed to be thankful 
and, and rite of thanksgiving. If we start with, for example, Romans, which is the first letter we have in, in the order of our book. It's not the first one he wrote. But in the order of the Bible, it's the first one we come across. Why are the books in that order? Oh, if you want to know that, you'll have to come to our biblical literacy class when we start that, if God's willing, next year. Um, first, Paul says, Romans 1.8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Eucharisteo, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. I pray thanks to God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's an incredible thing. I, I would really like to know Paul was praying for me personally. I got to tell you, I don't pull all of your names out of a hat. I don't know all of your names, unfortunately. I wish I did. But I pray for this class. And I know you pray for me. And it's a special bond that, that's created between people when they pray for each other. And so Paul says, I pray because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's a wonderful thing. If we look at the Philippians letter, he prays thanks in chapter 1 of Philippians, starting with verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because they helped Paul. Paul remembered their help in that prayer. And he did it constantly. If we look at Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Look at what Paul says there. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Why, Paul? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God for each of you. And I thank God because his grace in Christ Jesus is in your life. It would be very sad to me if I came up to any of you, that, especially those of you I know. If, if, Ricky, if I were to come up to you and I did not know that you knew Jesus Christ, it would hurt me compared to the joy that I have because you do. I'm glad Marcy's married to a man who loves the Lord. So is Marcy. And I'm glad you have a wife who loves the Lord. It's, it's a wonderful place of joy. It's a nice thing that Sandy Shiver loves the Lord. She does all these wonderful things and is so kind to me. She sends me emails once a month with a screen for my computer that has pictures of my family and a calendar. And I would love that and be thankful for that regardless. But there would be an aching in my heart if she didn't know the Lord. And I'll bet if you look in your heart, you'll think of people that you know and you care for who don't know Jesus. And it leaves an aching in your heart. 
The reciprocal of that is we have to be careful because sometimes when we have something that we want so dearly, once we have it, we just get kind of used to it. What's it called? Taking it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Express thanksgiving to God for everyone dear to you who knows his name. Just as you pray for those who don't. And that's what Paul did. Look at the way Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. Paul says. For this reason. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. He doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. It's something Paul constantly returned to. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Look at the way Paul starts it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 and 3. An incredible verse also theologically for other reasons. But Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to digress. Will you all humor me and allow me two minutes to give you some theology behind this verse? It's not quite a dictionary word study, but it sort of has some Greek implications. The way this Greek is written, that work he writes about that he's proud of, the Greek says it's a work that it comes from faith. It's a work of faith that's produced by faith. It's a genitive case for you Greek students. So Paul's saying he's remembering your work that comes from faith. Paul's doesn't, not too thankful about people who are just working because they want to work. Busyness was never his agenda. Paul's not too thrilled over anybody who thinks they're working because they're going to make their way to heaven. Legalism was never his agenda. Paul was always tuned in to the work that comes from faith. To the labor that comes from from your love. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's what John said. You do because you love. The, the labor that's produced by love. The steadfastness. The constancy. Even in the midst of persecution and problems. The steadfastness that comes from your hope. Your confident expectation in the Lord. It's a wonderful little verse theologically. But back on prayer. So Paul says I give thanks in my prayers, in the petitions, when I go to God and beg and entreat, I stop first and give thanks, which is consistent with our Lord. Now, that's not the only time Paul gives thanks. It's not just the introductory lessons. He prayed before meals. Did you know that? Paul prayed before he ate. Let me give you a couple of verses that you can glean this from. And again, I apologize. I don't mean to turn my back to y'all when I'm doing this. So please excuse me, but this is the way I I, I do it. So my apologies. Um, This is in Romans 14. We're in Romans 14. I'll write it here. In Romans 14, starting with verse 6. 
Here's what Paul says. And Paul's talking about how different people see things differently and you just need to love them anyway. But in the process, he says, the one who observes special days, you know, some Christians don't observe Christian holidays. Some do. Some will celebrate uh, 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 Christmas. Some don't celebrate it as, as the birth of Christ. It's just a... Uh, 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 well, actually, you shouldn't even at that point call it a holiday because holiday means a holy day. Uh, we'll just call it a special day. But, uh, you know, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who doesn't eat meats that may be pagan meat abstains in honor and give thanks to God. You give thanks to God before you eat. Paul's suggesting if you don't eat the pagan meat, you still give thanks to God before you eat whatever you're eating. You pray before your meals, or at least Paul did. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 20. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 20. We'll start with verse, verse 27. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, you can eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, that doesn't leave, you know, Paul's not saying if it looks like it's going to make you sick and it's like really bad, you, you say, oh, this looks sick. I'm not eating your food. Well, no, you shouldn't do that either probably. Um, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Now, look what Paul says. Let's keep with this. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, and thankfulness is not an attitude there. He means if I partake having given thanks, if I partake of the food having prayed for it, why am I denounced for that for which I've prayed, thank you, Lord, for this food? It's, and, and now there's a lot to discuss in terms of what does Paul mean by eating meat, not eating meat, sacrifices, what is it, the implications. That's a different class. This class is on prayer. So I just use that passage to show you Paul prayed thanks for his food. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. It actually starts in verse 1 where he's talking about in the last days there'll come all these uh, folks who, who are messed up and through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage who require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe the truth food to be received with thanksgiving with a prayer that is a Greek word for prayer with a prayer of thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if, it's to be, if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. So it's made holy by prayer. It's right to pray for your food. It's right to pray, thank you Lord for this food. And you don't have to say it out loud. And you don't have to make a big show. But I urge you, don't try to make it in a part of your life to never put a bite of food in your mouth again. Unless you first say, at least in your own brain, Lord, thank you for this bite of food. 
Just, just do it. Now, those aren't the only times Paul writes about Thanksgiving. Paul writes about Thanksgiving with just general openings in his letter. He writes about Thanksgiving with food. But he writes about Thanksgiving in a lot of different places in a lot of extra ways. And I don't want to spend too much time on them because they're in your lessons and you can read about them. But it's not fair if we don't look at at least a couple. And then we'll get on to the the gimme part of prayer. Like, gimme this, gimme that. Look at what Paul says about Thanksgiving prayer in Ephesians chapter 5. This is out of Ephesians. It's an interesting contrast. In Ephesians 5 verse 4, Paul says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, uh, crude, crass joking, which is out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. As, as, as Christian people, instead of, of telling the dirty joke, instead of telling the, the vulgarity, instead of speaking in ways that, that aren't suitable... Have a, use your voice to say thank you to God. Have you ever found a place where you didn't have something you could be thankful for? Use your voice. Contrast the way the world uses their voice with the way the believer should use his. Because the way you use your voice is a reflection on what you value. If what you want is the laugh, if what you want is the attention, if what you want is the fitting in, then I guess you can go ahead and tell the joke or whatever. But if what you want is to live a radical life for God, then make the decision that instead of telling that crass joke, you're going to turn around and find some way to be thankful to the Lord. Use your things for good and to build up. That includes your voice. Um, another passage here just uh, on the same page. In the same chapter. Paul says in, in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prayed in Jesus' name. That doesn't mean he always used it. Because we see he doesn't always use it. But he never, ever would approach God through anyone else than Jesus Christ. And to pray in Jesus' name means simply that. I can remember as a kid wondering, okay, why do we say in Jesus' name, amen? And I can remember being taught at some point that that's because we're not, I'm, I don't approach God in my name. Lord, here's what I want you to do. I've got it figured out. I want to say thank you for this and uh, get, get a few things. Um, you know, he says no, but we do that in the name of Jesus. What else do we have in Philippians 4, 4 through 6? Great passage on prayer. Starts out, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious. Anxious, do you know what it means? It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm really excited. It means worried. The, the English word anxious, we get anxiety. It's, it's another form of it. 
So when you see anxious in Scripture, it doesn't mean don't be excited and don't look forward to stuff. You know, I'm anxious. I'm excited about Christmas. Right now, I'm telling you, I'm already looking forward to it. But when Paul says don't be anxious, he means don't be worried. Don't be fretful. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, which is asking, entreating, when that translation's there, and supplication, which is laying yourself before God. So by asking God, you got worries? Ask God about the worries. But do it in a supplicant attitude of, Lord, it's not my will, but thine be done. And that supplication goes with thanksgiving. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that's what you do with your worries, Paul says. If you will take your worries and and petition God, but do it with an attitude of of supplication, of of willingness to to whatever God's, you know, in, in the team analogy of the day. Coach, I want to run this play, but if you want us to run that play, we'll run it. And thank you for the chance to be on the team. Um. Paul says, let your request be made known to God. And you know what happens? He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it will. If you look, um, I've got to leave time for the wants. There, there are more. I'll tell you, I'm going to throw one more up here that I think is an important one. It's the, it's the opposite side of the coin. This is from Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, starting with verse 21. Here it is. Paul's talking about the people who, who uh, God's wrath has fallen upon. And he says, God's wrath has fallen on these who, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want to tell you, I believe there is a spiritual principle at work there. To the extent we do not thank God, to the extent we don't honor Him as God and give, show gratitude to Him, something happens within us. If we don't give God His rightful place in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and who we are, if we don't give Him that rightful place, something else takes it. And it's not something that brings us illumination. And it's not something that brings us peace. It's something that leaves us futile in our thinking. Foolish hearts darkened. Stephen Trammell was talking this morning about how he's learned in his, in his 30 years of walking with the Lord. That God reveals the next step as he's obedient in the last one. And that was a wonderful lesson. I made a note of that one. And I'll add to it another idea. God will reveal to you the next step as you're thankful for the last one, too. Your failure to honor Him as God and show gratitude to Him will affect the way you see what He wants for you to be. It it, it does. So, those are the Thanksgiving ones. Um, there are more, but those are the ones I pulled out or, or the ones we have time for right now. Now, Paul also wrote of prayer as asking or petitioning God. Um, this is not, however, a Santa wish list, okay? For Paul, it was never, 
okay, here's a list of things I want. Gimme, 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 gimme. Oh, wait, I know. I got the routine down. I was in class. Thank you, Lord, for everything I have. Now, gimme, 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 gimme. It's not that way. It's real interesting. If we were to divide up and say God has a will for you and your life and Paul had his own will for his life, Paul was not praying that God's will would come over and get in line with Paul's. Paul was not praying, God, I will this. Would you come over here and do it? The closest he comes is in 2 Corinthians when he says, I prayed three times for God to take away this thorn in the flesh, but God wouldn't do it. His answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, and so I got in line with him. What Paul prayed was not for God's will to become Paul's will. Paul prayed that Paul's will would become God's. Paul's prayer was always, Lord, I want my will and my life events to be what you will them to be. The struggle in prayer for Paul was never a struggle of spiritual warfare in the sense of, I've got to get God over here doing the things I want God to do. It was always, I want us as people to move over here and have our will in alignment with him. And that's the struggle. That's the spiritual warfare because we don't want to give up our will. We want his will to be ours instead of ours to be his. That's the struggle. The struggle is how do we get our prayer life in line when we pray that whatever God's will is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did not say, pray, thy will become what my will is. He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we can look at some of these passages. And there's lots more to study beyond this. But I'll give you some just in a quick two-minute swash. Okay? Fasten your seatbelts on this. This is out of Romans 1. Paul says... God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Look, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. See, by God's will. Paul didn't want to go if it wasn't God's will. But if it's in God's will, he wants to be there and prays that at last he'll get to. Sometimes his prayer in God's will is not so obvious in the language, but it's still obvious in what he says. Look at what he says in Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews is that they may be saved. That's my prayer. I'm praying to God that they be saved. Well, that's God's will. He's praying, though he doesn't say it. Um, he, he goes on to do it more and more. Uh, Romans fifteen thirty, he does it. Second Corinthians, uh, he prays that they'll do right, not wrong. Again, that's God's will. Ephesians one, he prays for everybody, prays for God's will, and he prays for other people for God's will in their life. Look for a moment at the Ephesians prayer. This one's, this one's uh, incredible. 
Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you. We talked about that part of it. Remembering you in my prayers, my supplications, my entreaties. Remembering you as I beg to the Lord that the God of our Father... I mean, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give everyone tuned into this lesson right now in this class or on the internet or by reading, by whatever means, Lord, that you will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which you've called them, that they may know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance you've given them in the saints, that they may know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward those of us who believe according to the working of your great might. What an incredible prayer. If you've got anyone you love, Webster, you're sitting there with your wife. Lindsay, you're sitting there with your husband. Y'all pray that for each other today, please. Take time to do it. You, don't, you can do it together. You can do it separate. But just pray that God's Spirit will give Webster and Lindsay a, a, a wisdom and revelation that their eyes will be opened in the knowledge of who He is and the power that He's got and what He can do in your life. And if you've got someone you love, you pray that prayer for them. Pray that prayer for your children. John, pray that prayer for your daughter today. You pray that prayer for your children. You pray that prayer for the people that you care about because it's an incredible prayer. Oh, there's more. I have put as an addendum at the back several of Paul's prayers that are great prayers for purposes of praying for folks. But we don't have time for me to go into them in great detail here. Just take them. I've pulled them out. I've called them out. I've got four of them. Just substitute the nouns. Pray them for people. Now... From this class, I hope you're back next week. We're going to start our studies with the church. This will include some great stuff. We'll talk about charismatic gifts in the church. We'll talk about uh, women's roles in the church. We'll talk about a number of things. But I don't want you to just abdicate and leave prayer alone. There are so many things Paul talks about. He talks about prayer posture. He talks about kneeling in prayer. He talks about lifting holy hands in prayer. He talks about a number of different things of prayer that we've not had time to discuss. And so uh, I leave that to, to you. But here are your points for home. First, giving thanks always and for everything. I can't remember the number of the song, Mom. I think it was 353, but it may not have been. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings. Give thanks to God. Give thanks. Even... You know, my heart was breaking as the preacher was talking today or the finance guy was talking about how our giving is down. And, and the reason my heart was breaking is because the reason the giving's down is because people are suffering economically. And it's, it's, I've talked to Stephen about it and I've talked to David about it. 
and they both told me with great concern that they have that they be good stewards with what's going on here because they know how much people are hurting out there. But in the midst of whatever your crisis is and whatever your hurt is, you've still got blessings. And count them. Asking that somehow by God's will. I want you to pray for God's will in your life. I want you to really, really, and I'm, I'm focusing on this myself. I want to really do that mental image of God shift my will over to be under the umbrella of your will. I want to live under that umbrella of protection. It comes from walking in the will of God. I don't want to be out in the rain. I want to be living under this umbrella of protection. It comes from being under the will of God. And then finally, as Paul said, I'm remembering you in my prayers. Paul interceded in prayer for others. I encourage each one of you to figure out someone or some group of people and pray for them. Pray for them that they will be in God's will. That the life circumstances they face will be in God's will. We live in a fallen world. Satan tries to pull us away from God's will. But we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So with that, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. I thank you for everyone who serves in this class. And I thank you for everyone who comes to this class. And I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will bless them by bringing them under your will. Lord, shape and mold their heart, their desires, their needs, their wants to be what fit within your will. I intercede on their behalf for those who are hurting, for those who are physically uh, uh, unwell, for those who are emotionally unwell, for those who may be mentally unwell, for those who are financially unwell, socially unwell, for those who need work. I pray that your, 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 your love and your compassion and your covering will, will envelop them. I pray that they'll be encouraged and built up through your Holy Spirit and our fellowship. And I pray that they'll rest within the knowledge that you live and work in their life and in this world. And then bring them, Lord, to that place where you have for them. Meet their needs within your will. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.